And after six weeks, nobody can say they beat them Saints. Uh, bringing back a classic from 1983 here on Under the Dome. I'm your host, Alan Oric. Sound like my radio DJ voice here. Uh, here with my partner, uh, Sean Williams. How you doing tonight, Sean? I'm doing great, man. Uh, can't complain. Uh, not only did we beat the Buccaneers, but... Uh, Got a few style points. Uh, Got a fight. <laughs> my game ball goes to Devontae Harris. Uh, he made the only tackle he's made all season, but uh, we'll get into that a bit later. One of uh, the uh, first productions for being our sponsor and uh, invite you guys to not only tune in, but subscribe on iTunes and on YouTube to the Under the Dome podcast. On, uh, as Alan alluded to, we are on a six-game winning streak. Uh, this is what winning looks like. I, I know some of you guys that joined our, uh, our American band of misfits. Uh, this this is unfamiliar territory, but uh, keep it all in context. It's been a fantastic ride for the first half of the season. But, you know, uh, up to this point, not that I'm dipping anything that we've accomplished. Keep it all in context. The only thing we've accomplished to this point is one games that we were supposed to win. Mountains to climb in the next quarter of the season, uh, uh, the first of which will be Sunday, to go to Orchard Park to face uh, – face a really good Bills team, which we'll discuss in, in more detail in a little while. But getting back to the anatomy of a beatdown uh, this past Sunday in Dome Sweet Home, Alan, uh game was really close. Then the, the captain came out on the, the field for coin toss, and from there it was never really in doubt. No, they did what they're supposed to do to our team. This is what we talked about last week. Um, when you've got a bad team like Tampa, a team that really doesn't have much heart left, you jump on them early. You step, you stamp, ah, can't talk. You stomp the life out of them. Never give them a chance to come back into the game, and you do what we pretty much did in this ball game. Uh, I know for a while it was only nine nothing. And it felt like Tampa was any minute going to get back in this game. But you look at the final statistics, you know, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't pass the ball. Uh, you know, to quote Jim Moore, they sucked. <laughs> but, I mean, it, it was it was a total domination. Um, you know, they knocked Jameis Winston out early. And really, the, there's two plays in there I thought were 
the turning points in the game, even though we got that block pump early. The first one was the Alvin Kamara screen pass that you basically, he basically took what 30 something yards, uh, a little dump off screen, shook off a tackle and it was in the end zone. It made it 16 to three, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, by halftime. And then you make Tampa go three and out in their first possession. The Saints score a touchdown. Tampa's next possession, they throw a pass to O.J. Howard. We strip it, recover it, and the very next play is the, play, uh, the pass to Ted Ginn, uh, and that was the kill shot, and it made it basically 30-3. to um, And really, the only points Tampa got in this whole game came courtesy of turnovers. Uh, Tampa got three points after uh, Alvin Kamara fumbled early in the game and then got another seven points after uh, – Willie Sneed, who made a rare appearance on the field, Willie Sneed was supposed to be more sure-handed than Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, re- returning punts, muffed the punt, giving Tampa the ball in the red zone, and they only get a touchdown out of it. So you really were two mistakes by the Saints' offense and special teams away from a shutout. Um, and that's part of, I think, why the fans are enjoying this six-game winning streak, but it doesn't feel like what we did in 2009, doesn't feel like what we did in 2011. Um, it, the Saints aren't just rolling teams. It, the score looks a lot closer than it re- the game really is. Um, so that's the part, to me at least, I know a lot of people worry, but to me, that's the optimistic part. You are beating teams, bad teams, but you are beating them. It's just not showing up in the scoreboard how badly you are beating these guys. And if this offense ever gets in gear, doing the things they normally do, I mean, really, you think about it, we're about two or three plays away from hanging 45 points on the on the, uh, on the Bucks. Um that Ted, that Ted, that Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, long pass with Drew just a rare bad throw. He's wide open, and it just doesn't get there. A couple other possessions where you know they they had to settle for a field goal. I think uh, Lutz missed one. You know, it just it was just a a couple plays where you feel like if they just get that one play, man, that's a score right there. So, you know. It, it Personally, it's coming. It's coming. We just hopefully this the the blowouts start happening in December and in the playoffs. Personally, uh, and please forgive me for the way that I'm about to put this. But, uh, times over the course of my life, I've been accused of being a, a jackass. And Sunday, <laughs> had I been in a position to do so, I would have proven just. <clears throat> much of one I could in because after the Mike Evans incident uh well, let let's rephrase that after the Jameis Winston okay what happened here he froze you froze uh, just as you were making your point you froze it, hey that's a throwback to the old point after. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, after that, after that incident, 
I would have gone full vindictive mode and points on Tampa Bay after that incident, especially in light of the fact that Mike Evans was not ejected. Uh, I would have taken a personal interest in seeing that team suffer. You know, I think that was going to be Peyton's intention, and then Vernon Golston gets hurt. And I think it really kind of changed the, the vengeance part of the game because now you got a player that's seriously hurt. Um, we just went through last week with Zach Miller uh, getting caught off the field with that dislocated uh, leg. You know, this has got a neck injury that uh, that uh, Golston had. So I think, you know, in that regard, it kind of took a lot of the edge off because I was the same way. Um, after that chicken shit, and I'll say that because that's exactly – if you read Sean Payton's lips, it's exactly what he tells uh, Tampa Bay. After that chicken shit action by both, uh, you know, uh, Winston – and Evans on Lattimore, um, I think Peyton was ready to, to put the gas pedal down and hang another 30 points on these guys. There was going to be no mercy. I wish you would have. Apologies ahead of time to all my Tampa Bay friends who I seem to have more than – Well, I, on Mondays I read NFL uh, – I read the redzone.org. I go to that website. And what that is – is it's all the newspaper articles that are written in all the cities, all the NFL cities, about their team's performance that this past Sunday. And uh, I, you know, since we've been beating these guys, I go and read uh, the Tampa Tribune and and uh, some of their blogs and stuff like that, and read what these guys are saying about it. And for the most part, the fan base is pretty much disgusted by Tampa. They're disgusted by what Jameis Winston did. They're disgusted by what Mike Evans has done. They hate the coach. They hate the defensive coordinator. They hate the owners. They're, they're just so fed up with everything because, you know, it's now going to be a decade since Tampa has been in the playoffs, and that's not going to change anytime soon. And they had the same kind of bizarre reaction that the team had that probably you and I had. When you saw that thing that Winston did with his fingers, when he's sucking on his fingers and makes a W out of it, some kind of bizarre, you know, I don't know if I, I can do the Vulcan thing, but, you know, I, I, he tries to do this thing, and, you know, that's a W, which is like a gang symbol to me, but, you know, I'm just an old white guy. I don't know these kind of things. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> hey. That's what happens you read social media too long. You know, I get told over and over, you're just nothing but an old white guy. Um, what I could is his little huddle that he had going. They were standing around him. What in that, the hell is he talking about? Right. You know, you've got that versus, you know, what Drew Brees does in his huddle to, to pump up the guys. And, you know, Winston is trying to be a leader for this team, but He's just horribly immature, and the players may like him, but it's like, dude, what are you doing? You know, th there's a difference between being a leader and cheering people on and being high school Harry. Oh, my daughter just flashed up. It is a gang sign. You're welcome. 
How do you right. know that? Uh, I'm not even going to go there. Okay. I'm not even going to go there. But, you know, you've got that versus, you know, <clears throat> well, I think, something like this. I think, something like this here. I, you know, this is Drew Brees chanting. I mean, that that is. I mean, Drew Brees has just been a master at that, you know, and it's trying to do something, but it's got to fit your team's culture. And right now, what you're seeing in Tampa, there is no team culture. It's a, it's, it's, they've got no heart. They, uh, they have, cause they've got a lot of talent, but they have no heart, no drive, and there's no leadership. And that's why they looked as bad as they did, despite having the kind of talent. And when you don't have leadership and you've got a lot of maturity, you've got somebody doing something stupid, like Mike Evans did to Lattimore because he was pissed off that Lattimore basically has erased him. And that's what I call Lattimore now, an eraser. He basically takes one player off the field. No one's going to catch a ball yeah. against him. you know. And as long as you've got a player like Lattimore on your team who can erase a guy, now your whole defense can shift, help out Crawley where he needs to be helped out, or – send guys in on a blitz and have the linebackers playing just close enough in the uh, in the second level to take away the run or the short pass. And it's just that's all why this defense is playing so much better. That, that I understand the frustration that Tampa's got to be feeling right now because as you and I have talked about off air and, and everyone was – in world division winner this year, for whatever it's almost every year now. Underachieved that. Now, make no mistake about it. That team lives, dies, whatever by their leader, which on the field and off the field is Jameis Winston. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, all due respect, I think that it shows the level of leadership that you have to see exactly what Winston did coming and instigating what happened. Now, if he did thing for effect, uh, I, I can't understand that. Being a mature, professional leader of a team, which your job description as an NFL quarterback. You have the fray, you have to be cerebral, and you have to be a leader and a professional because you have to have every player on that roster to follow you. Right. I I think that it was, uh, it was a real sad going. Uh, no matter how frustrated you are, that you inspire uh, devotion, if you want to call it that, man. Mm-hmm. I think some 
aspect and and both that game I lost all respect for both of them when they did what they did I uh, I I still think that pull themselves out of the tailspin I'm not talking about and dress come back to win the division or anything like that, but level from the absolute freefall that they're in, the way that they conducted themselves on the field, uh, accordingly off the field, on this past Sunday in the Superdome, that's not that type of area is not going to get it. You know. I- <clears throat> While we're talking, I was looking up, uh, there's a movie called Miracle, and it's about the 1980 hockey team that won the Olympics. And uh, for anybody who has never seen that movie, I really recommend going to see that, you know, find it on Netflix if it's available on Netflix or find it, you know, somewhere where the movie came out in 2004, I believe. Uh, Kurt Russell plays, yeah, Kurt Russell plays Herb Brooks, who was the, uh, the, the coach for that hockey team. And it fits in everything that we've been talking about with Tampa Bay fits in with what has always been my complaint about free agency and so forth and what is wrong with Tampa. He says in one one part, uh, a guy points out to him, says, you're missing some of the best players. And he says, I'm not looking for the best players, Craig. I'm looking for the right ones. Um, and that's how I've always felt when it comes to acquiring talent. You can have a team, and he says this in the movie too, you can have a team loaded with talent across the board, but if they don't play together as a unit, if they, if they are more worried about the individual stats than they are about being a team, if they're more worried about being the star or the superstar on the team and not doing their job, then you are not going to make, have a successful team. And that's, he talks about that, you know, that the hockey team that played in the 76 Olympics was far more talented than the 1980 team. Uh, talented across the board, but they didn't play as a unit. And because they didn't play as a unit, they lost to the Russians and they lost to the Eastern European countries because they did play as a unit. They were that they were like, you know, to pardon the old Cincinnati Reds name, they were the red machine, the big red machine. And that's what he was trying to forge out of the American team. A bunch of scrappy players who play with a chip on their shoulder, and they became a unit, a team that beat more talented teams in what they had because they had the heart and the desire to be a champion. And I think that's what you're seeing happening with the Saints right now. They have talent, but remember in 2014, that was supposed to be the most talented team the Saints have ever felt uh, fielded, and yet that team lost. That team went 7-9 and was an ugly 7-9 and really was a couple plays away from being a 6-10 and 10 kind of team. So it, it's – Tampa, you know, I, I worry that one day they're going to find a coach that knows how to forge that team into – uh, that, that group of individuals into a team uh, because then they really will be dangerous. But in the meantime, they have a bunch of immature idiots 
and quitters who that's what they did against us. When the things got rough, that Alvin Kamara touchdown, that was a lot of skill. That was a lot of talent by Kamara, but it was also a lot of Bucks not just not really interested in tackling him. You know? Now, I talked to uh, our longtime listeners and viewers. Well, he's a, he's a very good friend of ours and he's been on our show several times. And he covers the Bucks, and he said that um, everyone that he's talked to in the area said that. Tampa quit early in that game. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with that. And that's not to diminish what the Saints did. The Saints played, for the most part, except for the special teams, for the most part, they played solid football. They did what they needed to do to win the ball game. It's not about style points. We've won games before with style points. This team is a much more of a blue-collar team where they want to other and they want to play a complete game. Um, uh, last night or day before, maybe Sunday night, the Saints threw the ball 27 times, all 31 times. You know, that's, that's almost perfect balance. And, of course, Breeze was like, what, 22 of 27? You know, he is completing more passes this year than he had than he did last year, but it's for a little less yardage and I think eight fewer touchdowns, but he also has cut his interceptions in half. He's not – it's not that he's playing the game manager. He is playing um, almost like a, a director, you yeah. know, and this is what we're going to do. And he's directing this offense. He's not managing it. You know, Bobby Avery was more of a game manager. He is directing the offense out there, and the offense right now is built around running the football with Kamara and Ingram. And um, it's a uh, it's a surprising game. I just don't want to get to the Rams game. And that's when we suddenly have to turn on the passing game because the Rams, um, you know, offense puts that much stress on the Saints' defense or vice versa, that the Rams' defense shuts down the run and we now have to start throwing the ball and we're now searching for that offense to come back to what it, what we're used to seeing. You know, that, that that's my only concern I've got right now. My biggest concern is the they're going to be able to maintain this pace. Let this sink in for a minute. Way through the season at this point right now, and we are one day from matching our win total. The previous one game away from matching that. Mm-hmm. All that being said, that's the bar that we're reaching for by any stretch of the imagination. But at the same time, I don't want to be on the articles coming out right now that are saying, right now, the Saints are the number two seed. 
it doesn't matter what seed we are. That's that's relevant because there's half of the season remaining work to be done. I'm raining on the parade of what we've uh, so far this season. I think it's fantastic, but it's only. You know, the Saints in 1993 went 5-0 uh, in the first five games, then proceeded to win only three of the next eight. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah, three of the next uh, three of the next 11. I'm sorry about that. They went three and eight. Uh, three of the next 11. So, you know, you ended up eight and eight, and it was an ugly eight and eight because their first loss against the Pittsburgh Steelers like the Steelers took seven to ninety-two Saints when and laid it out and said, This is all this team really is. And this is how you shut that down. Because the defense was never the same. The offense was never, ever as efficient as it was in those first five games, or from 87 to 92, you know, when they were playing their best. And I'm not saying something like that could happen now. I'm just saying, you know, at 5-0 and in 93, you felt like, okay, this train's rolling like it always does. It's just going to keep going, and we're going to go right back to the playoffs. Maybe this year is the year we're going to win one. Um I am saying, though, this team, um, this Saints team is younger, has a lot more talented rookies and second-year players on the team, and <clears throat> you're seeing guys like Cam Jordan, uh, even Kenny Vaccaro now, Mark Ingram, Michael Thomas to an extent, uh, of course, Marshall. Playing at a pro bowl pro and Cam Jordan, playing at an all pro level, that is a welcome change to what we have been seeing. Where you would get that one game, like I think that some one time we had uh, what happened there. <laughs> I think one time we had uh, we had uh, Junior Gallet with ten sacks. Okay, Junior Gallet got ten sacks. But if you look at them, they came in bunches. It wasn't like he was consistently pressuring the quarterback or consistently making a lot of plays all season long. There were games where he kind of disappeared. Uh, And then he would come back with a vengeance against weaker teams. You're seeing Cam Jordan show up every week, being an effective player every week. And that, that is a lot better to see, you know. Sean, you okay? Uh, I was worried you yeah. froze on me again. Okay. I was worried you okay. froze on me again. Um, uh, moving right along, let's mm-hmm. get uh, – I know this is going to take a minute for us to address this. Um, our our midseason report cards. Uh, mm-hmm. We want to go through the team, uh, <clears throat> positional group by positional group, and – kind of give you guys an idea of exactly where the team has done 
or excuse me, what they've done thus far, maybe an outlook uh, briefly on what we can expect in the, the second half from them. I'm going to start with the, the man himself, Drew Brees, quarterback position. Oh, that's an A. Um, again, like I said, you know, he, he has two games in a row. He's completing well over 80% of his passes. Granted, they're short passes. He's not taking as many deep shots as he used to. Um, but he hasn't had to play from behind. He hasn't had in this six-game winning streak. He hasn't had to, you know, get this offense going by going to a no-huddle, quick tempo, start flinging the ball all over the field. Um <laughs> He's been very methodical about the way he plays. And as a result, we're seeing better completion rate. We're seeing fewer touchdown passes, but we are seeing um, fewer interceptions, and we're seeing roughly about the same amount of yardage. It just doesn't feel like it because you're not getting that 330-yard, four-touchdown game like you're used to seeing. You're getting about a 282 to 299 with one or two touchdowns, um, no interceptions, but he's got a higher completion percentage. So it, it's it's I I'm very happy with him. I, I, um, I get, I, I get, go ahead. Hear an echo. I get a chuckle get sometimes a chuckle. out of the fan base, and I don't mean the entire fan base because I love my Houdat Nation. I, I'm a diehard. I bleed black and gold the whole nine. But I, it it amuses me sometimes because for years now, people have been saying, if we only would run the ball, so much pressure on Drew Brees, and now we're running the ball and everybody wants to know Drew Brees. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. as I – short and sweet answer to to all of it is as long as this team continues stacking those W's, I don't care if they do it on the ground, through the air, kicking 17 field goals in a game. I, I want Will Lutz to have to ice his leg after the game if that's what it takes. <laughs> as far as the quarterback position, I give, I give Drew an A, obviously. Um, he quite as pedestrian as a lot of people would have you to believe what needs to be done. And he's with the Mark Ingram, Alvin Kamara factored in, uh, even as Alan just alluded to, even more efficiently and effectively asked. It just, like he said, it just doesn't seem that way even to play at 110 miles an hour with his hair on fire anymore what they're accomplishing anyway. We're not, we're not beating teams by 20 points, and I think that's what people are worried about. And they want to see that. They want to see Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara combined for over 200 yards rushing, but they also want to see Drew Brees throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns. You know, so you're essentially beating teams 62 to seven, you know, 51 to 14, that kind of stuff. You know, I mean, and you think about it, 
the average offense gets 60 plays, 65 plays or so. You know, like I tell people all the time, and this will lead us right into our next positional group, um, there's only so many snaps that you get. Um, and these are long, time-consuming drives. You don't, unless we go down the field and go bing, 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 you know, next plays, you know, next plays an extra point. Um, it's, you, you, you know, you can't have long sustained drives and have 200 yards and have your quarterback throw for th- over 300 yards or throw a lot of touchdown passes and have your running back score touch uh, score touchdowns as well. It's one or the other. And that's what you're seeing now. You're seeing much more of a ball control, um, limited offense on purpose, you know, to reduce the number of turnovers because – you hear that they're running the analytics now. I even talked about this in Sunday's game. The, they're running analytics on everything that the Saints do. And Peyton has figured out now what analytics he needs to hit on to be a successful team. If you And he said that, I think, to Chris Spielman. You tell me the team that rushed for the most yard, and you tell me the team that owned time possession, and I'm going to tell you the team that won the game. Um, and that's what you're seeing now out of this offense. So let's go to the running backs. Again, once we traded Adrian Peterson, I'm giving this position group an A because with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, and I said this last week, you've got a much more of a thunder and lightning uh, uh, backfield. You know, Ingram is your thunder, you know, where he is going to get your tough yardage. He's much more of a – ground and pound kind of back where Ingram, I mean, where Kamara, Kamara is the lightning. You know, he's the quick strike guy. Guy can run the receiving position. Um, you saw in the screen pass, tr- tremendous balance. And when he hits the, when he hits the hole, he hits it fast. You know, he's picking up a lot of yardage. So you and we haven't even had to see the other back. You haven't had to see a third back come out. It's just been Alvin Kamara and, uh, Mark Ingram, we don't have a third back playing running back anymore. Um, this is like the 2006 Saints with Reggie Bush and Deuce McAllister almost. Um, the fullback, Zach Line, I think has only touched the ball a couple of times. Uh, and I think the same thing would be the case if, uh, if John Kuhn was still playing with us, if he wasn't on injured reserve. You know, it's, it's 2006 all over again, at least with the running back position. And trying to uh, to factor, which is a more rare occurrence, will be Fleener catching passes in a game, and Zach or Zach line in a game, and I saw both on Sunday. You know, I was about to send an APB out for. <laughs> Kobe Fleener for a while because we hadn't seen him in a few weeks. Um, he and Willie well, both are still missing in action. Fleener caught a pass. Uh, was actually in on an impactful play, although it, it was to the negative. Uh, had a carry. It it was just a and and that play. Of course, uh, I'm I'm getting ahead of us. Uh, 
that's later on, but uh, expositional grouping. Uh, what very quietly, fully to most, the key element in the success that this team has had up to this point, and, and I'm giving an to the offensive line. Um, why so? Why? Because of, well, factor into that. Um, going into the season, you had such questions about Teron Armstead, Zach Streif. The season progressed. Unger's been, been a mainstay, as always. Mm-hmm. Somewhat hit or miss. Streif has been. He was in for a, a, a quick minute, but uh, since then they've had to kind of uh, and and so to speak. And I think that they have adjusted masterfully to what they've had to do. And you look at the success that not only Breeze but also are having thus far and and that all comes off the backs of those offensive linemen and either durability adaptability as well okay i'll i'll say this yes the the i would give them an a for cross training meaning you, in this season alone you've played uh, Ryan Ramchak on the right side and the left side without any drop-off in his ability. Um, since he's taken over the left side, he's still blocking very well. You haven't seen him getting blown up. You've had Pete play guard. You've had Pete kick out the left tackle. You have, uh, you've had uh, Kelamente play right guard. You had Kelamente play left guard. You had Unger out. Um, the whole preseason, you've now got Josh Laribas. In this game, we had uh, Ramchek, Kelamente, Unger, Laribas, and Pete as your starting offensive line uh, this past week. So I give them a lot of credit for shifting the offensive line as much as they have and Breeze not getting killed out there. No one has become Daryl Turnstile Terrell out there. Uh, no one is um, getting blown up and blown all over the field. Um, you know, it, it's not as if it, as consistent as I'd like. Um, I thought we missed on a couple short yardage things. I think we've had some issues in the red zone, partially because of blocking. That's why I'm going to give them a B plus. Okay, just because we haven't seen that starting offensive line play together for three and four weeks at a time. I would like to see Armstead, Pete, Unger, uh, Warford, and Ramchak all in there, or even Streif in there. Well, I don't think Streif's going to get his job back, honestly. But I'd like to see them all in there and playing together 
uh, for a while, like an entire month, and we just haven't seen that. We've had too many injuries in the offensive line. But I agree because despite the injuries, they are still producing and producing yeah. very well. Yeah. I, and, I mean, I, I completely left Warford out of the equation, but, I mean, he was playing incredibly before he got hurt. And do you have any um, – how much longer we're going to have to play without him? I haven't heard an update uh, on him in, in, a, in a minute now. Uh, you're not going to hear anything until tomorrow. Um, I have a feeling it's just a muscle strain. They said they took him out for precautionary reasons because the game was pretty much handled. And, you know, outside of Gerald McCoy, nobody wants to play – anything on the Tampa's defense on that front seven. I mean, Gerald McCoy and, and uh, Levante David are the only two players who really were playing with any kind of heart out there. And um, Are you are you talking about Armstead or are you talking about Warford? Oh, I was talking about Armstead. I'm sorry. I was talking about Armstead. No, Warford, I haven't heard anything more than what we heard, what, last week that he missed, um, you know, the abdominal strain. Um we probably won't hear anything until, you know, because you, you have an easier time getting secrets out of the Politburo and the old USSR than you are getting um, injury information out of Sean Payton during the regular season. Um, but, yeah, I was talking about Armstead first. I think Warford is probably another week, maybe two, before he can come back in. Um and, and again, this is, goes to the credit to the cross training that they did on this with the Saints team. They don't feel a need to rush him back. Yeah. So they're going to take their time because their thinking is let's just keep going with what we got until we have a problem because I'd like to have a fully healthy offensive line come in for the playoffs. You know, and playoffs? Yeah, that's when you need these guys playing. You need this team playing, peaking in the end of December and January. You need this team playing its best football going into the postseason. And I think that's just the mentality they've got right now with this club. Um, we're just going to keep going. Um, you know, uh, let's talk a little bit about the tight ends. Um, we, we mentioned uh, Fleena making a, a rare guest appearance last week in the Superdome, um, Josh Hill and Hooman have – Josh Hill's been catching passes and blocking a bit, and same with Hooman. But how, what would you grade this tight end position? Tight ends, uh, it's not going to be very pretty because I think that on a offensive unit that needs that consistency to consistently produce uh, – Tight ends have been basically non-existent, so I I would say uh, a C, maybe even a D. Uh, yeah. Fleener, Fleener is supposed to be your your number one guy in, in, at the tight end position, and I'm sorry, in this offense, one catch a game is not going to do it. Yeah, that's not what this offense was built for and built around. And that's uh, you had uh, Shockey, you had Graham, you had 
Ben Watson for that one season. Uh, Drew Brees can take an average tight end player. And Fleener had supposedly had all of the uh, attributes required to fit that bill. And reason I, we, we just haven't seen the production out of it. No. And it's now, now the reserves at the position, the Josh Hill, the who man, I, I think they've stepped up and tried to shoulder some of that load. Tight ends in, in the New Orleans Saints offense are always going to be judged on their pass catching. It's never going to be uh, – they're never going to be judged as uh, run blockers or, or whatever. Uh, and they've made no significant contribution to this passing offense. Well, there's no, there's no excuse other than the fact that just not – as good a pass catch as it's supposed to be. And I directly attribute the inability or the, the struggles the Saints have had on third downs, lack of production out of Fleener, and, and this is going to go to the receivers, the disappearance of uh, Willie Sneed from this offense. Um, yes, we had a better third down conversion this, this past Sunday than we did against the Bears. But... <sighs> You're not getting that consistent number one, number two, every week, 50 to 60% conversion rate on third down like you were getting in 2011, in 2012, even 2015 or 2014 and 20, uh, 2016. You're just not getting that conversion because Fleener's not the, the guy on third down. Uh, just stretch the defense, get that mismatch against the uh, linebacker or safety. Or Willie Sneed, who is probably your best route runner on the team, isn't getting that open, you know, sit in the dead spot of the zone and move the chains. Catch the ball, move the chains. So, yeah, I give the tight end position a D right now because of that. Uh, they're helping on the run blocking, but they're not contributing much in the passing game. Um, you know, Josh Hill does what he can do, but I mean, he's a limited player. Um, and who man that his job isn't really to catch a lot of passes. His job is to block. Um, and in the receiving core, um, which is the next position we could talk about the receiving core. I have to give individual grades more than the whole group. Um, you know, Michael Thomas, my boy has got an A. Ted Ginn Jr. Oh, Michael Thomas, I love that guy. He, I love the way he catches the ball. I love how what he does, you know, as far as stretch out to get the first down, but is strong enough to control the ball when he does that. Give Ted Ginn Jr. a high B plus, low A, because for a guy who had the reputation of terrible hands as a receiver, think about just over the course of the season, how many passes, not the punts, we'll talk about the special teams later, how many passes do you remember Ted Ginn just dropping outright, especially during a six-game winning streak, when he is wide open and the ball is thrown to him perfectly? I, I really haven't seen that. Um, there were a couple early in the, in the season, but 
nothing like what we used to see in Carolina, which you saw in Miami, which you saw in San Francisco, all the teams where he's bounced around. Um, you're seeing a much more consistent receiver looking the ball in and catching it, and it's a welcome surprise. I mean, I think he's become one of Drew's favorite targets. Um, I I think he's absolutely – you know, this is, as I alluded to earlier, this is kind of virgin territory for Saints fans because the team is winning, number one. Number two, we're sitting here and we're talking about a draft class that is above and beyond anything – expectations that we could have placed on them we're talking about free agents that we brought in in the off season that are playing a magnificent role in the success of this team uh and to me is by and large i well i can't say by and large because you got alex okafor but even up to and including okafor Ken is without a doubt the most impactful free agent signing that we've made. And that shocks nobody in this world more than it did me. I got mad when we signed Ken because I thought, hey, hands, he's not going to work yeah. out. And yeah. I, I applaud the guy. Uh, I wish I could get him on our show. Uh, <laughs> I applaud the guy oh. for doing the work putting in the work to change that narrative surrounding him mm -hmm. coming in here, all he's done. If I remember correctly, and I, I may be corrected on this by guys like uh, Rev. I, to my knowledge, I can right off the top of my head. I can only remember one. It was in either in Minnesota or against new England. He dropped one third down conversion pass, and that that's basically been the extent of his drops this entire season. Yeah, he had, he had one one play where he ran a bad route um, against New England, and that was a turning point in that game. And I pointed that one out because the Saints could have scored a touchdown there. Instead, they got nothing, and the Patriots turned around and went marched down the field and got a field goal right before halftime. And had the Saints got that touchdown, I think that game might have been a little bit different. There was a bunch of other things that went wrong in that game, but as far as offensively, that might have been a difference. But here's the other thing, too. Imagine, with given Willie Sneed's suspension and disappearance from this offense, imagine if Ginn was the receiver we thought we were getting. You know, the guy with bad hands, the guy who's going to run the go routes and be your special teams guy, but not contribute much, you know, to the receiving core. So the entire receiving offense is built around and only around Michael Thomas. This offense being in a lot of trouble. But because Ginn is playing as well as he is, um, the offense has kept going, and it's helped Kamara become a much better, much more effective player. It's helped Mike Thomas out there, and it's lessened, not eliminated, but lessened the loss of Snead. Um, I because I gave Willie Snead an F because not only has he been a non-factor of his suspension, but then he gets hurt, 
and he also has not come back to do anything. He bobbled a punt. that They put in there because they were taught to again bobbling punts, bobbles a punt and results into a Tampa score. And against a much better team, that could have been uh, disastrous for the team. So, you know, I have to give him an F right now. And it bothers me because I was counting on Willie Sneed to really have a great year this year. Um, you know, Tommy Lee Lewis and, and Coleman do with it, you know, what they're, what's asked of them. But Tommy Lee Lewis is really, you know, basically a special teams guy right now. And Coleman is more of your run blocking. I'll get one or two passes thrown to me in a ball game, but I'm really a run blocker. And that's my job out there. So he gets a C only because he's not a contributing factor in the passing game. And I think, again, like with the Sneed absence, it, you're not getting Coleman out there moving the chains for you either. Not Coleman's not your red zone threat, although he did catch a few touchdowns this year. He's not your consistent red zone threat mismatch that you would hope a guy who's as big as he is could be. So – yeah, and they're looking for a special teams guy. So, um, oh, and you froze, didn't you? Great. <laughs> I see that because you give me them. Hmm, look. All right. Next position, while you kind of figure out, well, Sean tries to figure out what happened to his computer, um, we'll talk about the defensive line. Defensive line, you got to give these guys an A uh, because with your defensive line, position you uh you're seeing cam jordan playing in an elite level an all pro level you are seeing alex okafor be that other guy on the other end you needed him to be he's been an effective pass rusher he's done a strip sack he's you know he is a very productive defensive end both defending the run and rushing the passer uh, David Onyemata is growing up before our eyes. We're seeing a lot more production out of him. Sheldon Rankins is starting to come around. He has now played technically a full season because he missed. Remember, guys, he missed that first eight games of la his rookie year last year. So he's played eight games this year. So he's pretty much his first year football. And we're seeing him starting to come around and be a more productive player. And you're getting production out of a third-round pick in uh, Hendrickson, Trey Hendrickson. Uh, again, a credit to this draft class. Excuse me. So, over and even uh, Tyler Davidson is an effective uh, nose guard. I wish Nick Fairley could have played this year. Um, I think Nick Ferry, Nick Fairley being in this, being on this roster would help out a lot right now, especially on third downs, uh, with the pass rushing, but it's not a disaster without him. And that's, that's huge. That's key in this game. Um, we are seeing a much more productive front line for the Saints, and you have seen in a long, long time. And I even go back, it's more productive than you would 
you saw in 20, uh, 2013 with Junior Gallette and Cam Jordan because you gave much more of a push out of defensive tackles. Um, still wink. Um, he is still frozen. I will say this, um, and he is pissed off about this too, as he as he just texted me. Um, I will say this though: the um, there's a, there's a few fans who are really concerned about the run game and our run defense. Here's the thing, though, and I and I said this the other day in a in a chat on Facebook. We're really looking at about six plays in three games where the opposition running backs and or quarterbacks got some big runs on our defense. If you take those six plays out, which I know you really can't because that all factors into it, if you take those six plays out, you are really crushing the run game. Um, I think Tampa was something like two of two of nine on third down conversions. Um, they couldn't run the ball. They took they took Mel Martin out of the game. Um, they they may be getting a couple first downs, but they're not getting long drives going. And yes, those six runs, I think two or three of them resulted in touchdowns. But for the most part, you were shutting shutting the run game down, and you're forcing them into a position. Are you back? I am back. And I know, you know, people probably tired <laughs> of hearing me run my mouth. But uh, I was trying to see if you were coming back or not. I but was I trying was... to, man. Uh, I apologize so much, uh, you guys. I, we're dealing with some technical issues. Uh, well, he is. <laughs> the, matter of disclosure, I'm dealing with some uh, some technical issues. And it, where were we? I, I'm so sorry to. Well, I I just I, I kind of wrapped up the uh, the receiving core and went straight to the defensive line. And basically, I gave the guys an A because of the pass rushing and the effectiveness of Alex Okafor. And you were talking earlier about, you know, the best free agent. To me, there was three great free agent signings the Saints team did this year, and all three are contributing at a high level. Alex Okafor, Ted Ginn Jr., and um, uh, uh, Larry Warford, sorry, <laughs> the, the, the offensive guard. I had a I had a mental block from it on the guy's name. I could picture his number and everything. But you know, all three of those guys have been effective for us. And um, you know, Grant uh, think about it though. Our draft class. Mm -hmm. You got Anzalone, you've got Hendrickson, you've got Lattimore, you've got Camara. Mm -hmm. Except except one, I believe. The only one who's not con contributing is Muhammad. Uh, and yeah. it's only because the guys in front of him are better right now. But we saw in preseason, Muhammad can offer you a lot. The fact that he has not played football for two years. He only played one year of college ball. And as a fresh, that was as a freshman. Um, he needs to get the skills down. He needs to get the, the defense down and know what he's doing out there, but they want to see something out of him. Um, no, it, 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 this is probably one of the best draft classes since 1981 and 86 because the 81 and 86 draft classes 
really were the core what built those Jim Mora teams uh, that went on to win all those seasons, um, defensively especially. Um, yeah, no. You know, George Rogers in that 81 draft class, and he was set the league record until Eric Dickerson broke it, but he set the rookie league rushing record at, what, 1,600 yards in 81, rookie of the year, uh, yeah. best Saints running back, to the only Saints running back to ever do that. So, I mean, that's all – you still count that as part of that 81 draft class, even though we would trade him three years later. So, this that's the kind of production you've seen out of this draft class. Well, it's not just the draft class. It's also the free agent. And the second-year players. Also. Yeah, um, we're going to talk about him in a little bit, but Von Bell, he played probably his best game as a Saint this past uh, this past weekend. And very quietly, he has moved into that strong safety spot with the rookie playing free safety. You've got a rookie corner. You've got a second-year player at your strong safety, a rookie playing your free safety, and an undrafted free agent second-year player playing your other cornerback spot. And that's the strength of your defense. And that's, that's amazing. That is of. amazing. You know, yes, Vaccaro's in there too, and Vaccaro is playing at a great level. Vaccaro is kind of bouncing between being a linebacker and a roving safety, you know. So I'm talking about your your four on your back end, and that's just – it's impressive. It is. Uh, we'll skip over the linebackers and go right into the defensive backs on our, mm -hmm. our score card here. Hey, I, I – Call me a sucker, uh, being a former cornerback uh, plus. Because this defense has it has largely on the strength of they've done in past defense. Now, it, the past defense, I realize, is kind of uh, to go to a Jedi term. It's a symbiotic uh, with that defensive they have, line. They have metachlorians? They have metachlorians? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> There's people out there going, oh, God, they lost me. <laughs> you got to watch Phantom Menace. Yeah. Anyway, mo moving no, on. Don't. No, you don't. You, <laughs> the only thing you got to watch in Phantom Menace is you got to watch the lightsaber battles, and that's about it. And a lot of bad acting. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you – well, I, I'm not going to extol the virtues of uh, Wells on uh, Who That Nation's time. Anyway, but that's a lot of who we are, so deal with it. Uh, lost my mind there for a minute. I, I think <laughs> I do realize that it's – Joint effort between the the defensive line getting in the quarterback's face, pressuring the quarterback into decision, making a choice really quickly whether he wants to or not. That's part of pass defense as it, those defensive backs running their coverage schemes. Realistically speaking, you can only expect defensive back to be 
optimal in pass coverage for a four to five second window. Anything over that, yeah, ending their abilities. Yeah, and you know, we kind of skipped over the linebackers here, you know, because we jumped right to the defensive backs because a lot of more. I said this on Facebook, and I'm going to keep saying this. We finally got one. Um, it seemed like for 50-plus years watching Saints football, um, you know, you always saw everyone else's team have that that shutdown cornerback, Revis Island, Deion Sanders, um, Champ Bailey. Uh, don't, don't, don't say Deion Sanders, please. Oh, uh, well, he – I, I don't like that. The is guy. That, that is the most overrated NFL player ever to put on a uniform. Yeah, well, I have to give him in a category of shutdown. <laughs> okay. Regardless, he was a hell of a punt returner, but don't consider a guy with a uniform that clean to be a complete cornerback. No, he was not a complete cornerback. He was. That the is opposite. an insult to all quarterbacks anywhere. He was he was the opposite of um, my favorite cornerback, Mel Blunt. But um, the the point is, though, you always had a guy who every other team, I should say, always seemed to have a guy who you never wanted to throw at. You know, Marcus Peters. Uh, you don't want to throw at his side of the field because if you do, you're risking an interception. What do you see now playing his eighth NFL season with um, – with the Saints, I mean, eighth NFL, eighth NFL game, his first season, not even a complete season, with the Saints, you're seeing these offensive coordinators and coaches say, don't throw in 23's area because you're risking a lot of trouble if you do that because you probably will throw an interception or he's just going to take your player out. And we are seeing each week, no matter who he plays, he takes that player. Like, that's why I call him an eraser. He erases that player from the field. I cannot wait till we play Atlanta. And I want to see if they put Julio Jones on him. Because I promise you, if it's either Julio Jones or Sununu that goes out and goes up against Lattimore, you won't get a stat from that guy all week. I mean, all, all game. They're going to have to move him to Crawley's side to get a reception because unless it's a quick slant right in front for next to no yardage, Lattimore's taking him out of the game. They're not going to beat him deep. I know that. And it's just – it's an ama- I watched him in the Bears game. It was just an amazing thing to see. His, his recognition skills, his recovery – the little things he does where he just flicks, flicks his hips and he's in position again to make a, not only make a play, but when he makes it, you know, if you think about most Saints cornerbacks in Saints history, they'll go out and knock the ball away and here comes a sea of flags because he bumped him or it looked like his arm was on his back or whatever. Well, Lattimore... He's making the plays where he's knocking the ball away and he's not touching the guy. And the official's like, hey, I can't call anything because he's just been that good. And that is that is amazing. 
One thing and that is helping the rest of the defense. One thing that I want to say about Lattimore is you you got an indication of exactly where the guy is, if you want to call it that. Mm-hmm. Monday after the game when they interviewed him about the incident with Evans, and he said, hey, I didn't say anything to him, and when they didn't throw him out, I was glad because – to shut him out then. I, I forget yep. his exact wording, but basically what he said was that he's glad they didn't throw Evans out of the game because that gave him all the motivation he needed to completely, as you put it, erase him from the game. And Evans had one catch on Sunday, and I think it was like 12 yards maybe. Yeah. It was completed against that secondary by the Buccaneers was 15 yards mm-hmm. by ste- steady, steady, something like that. The game high receiver for the Buccaneers was Deshaun Jackson with, I want to say, 25, 29 yards. He had two catches for 20-plus yards. Yeah. And, and for a yep. team that – has done what they've done against us in recent memory. I think that I need to say I, I give these guys an A plus. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The weakness right now in the defense, but because Lattimore is playing so well, you can now have Kenny Vaccaro play down in the box. The weakness is still the linebacking position. Um, you know, Manti Teo is really a two-down run-stuffing kind of linebacker. Limited athletically, but you know he can play the run. If you're playing a team that's all they do is run the football, um, Craig Robertson is a good linebacker, a very good linebacker. He is not overly talented, but he maximizes his talent. He does what he, you ask him to do, um, and you're seeing more and more out of AJ Klein. I wish he would catch some of these interceptions that hit him between the numbers, but uh you know, he he is he is he's giving you what you want. Um there's just no difference maker in the linebacking position. That's why it's it's only a C. Um you know, Alex he has some potentials. He flashed a lot of speed, uh sideline to sideline speed, a lot of aggression what you like, but you're looking for a guy. The Saints need to find a linebacker who has the physical talents of a Stephon Anthony, but you want to be able to transplant a brain like a Sam Mills kind of brain where he knows everything that the other the other offense is doing and – not only knows it, but can go and make that impact. And Sam Mills knew that. Uh, you saw that with Jonathan Vilma. That's the difference between this defense being very, very good, which is where they are right now, and elite. When we get that linebacker who is an elite linebacker, an elite talent, who is a wrecking machine at second level, who can both rush the passer and stop the run, that's where that's when this defense will take that next step to the elite status. And it's exciting because 
the oldest person on this defense, I think, is Cam Jordan. Yep. Uh, from the 2011 class. Um, most of this defense is second and third year players. So it's here. Delvin Bro broke his leg. Oh gosh, we're way over. Here, Delvin Bro broke his leg in the preseason. Um, gets a setback. Going to be out for three to six weeks more, maybe, which is almost the entire season. And no one is panicking about this at all. You know, and in 2015, he was your best cornerback. But it just shows you how much this defense has progressed that a guy that you've been anxious, that you would have been in past years, anxiously awaiting, when is Delvin Bro coming back? When is Delvin Bro coming back? I can and give you another example. It's fine. You know, I, I can I can give you another example that's uh, probably equally as relevant. We're back to uh, maybe during the preseason. How many people were panic mode because fairly for the year? Yeah, I mentioned we will have absolutely we no pass rush. Yeah. I meant, you know, he had five sacks last year. Um, who was going to pick up that slack? Well, Okafor is more than picked up that slack. Um, Absolutely. You know, Tyler Davidson's kind of Tyler Davidson. I'm sorry. Uh, Trey Hendrickson has come in and had an impact. So much of an impact. He's kind of supplanted Kiaka. Um, you know, I know I'm, I butchered his name again. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, key. Key. Uh, Ka. Ha. Ha. You know what it is? I'm worried about saying Kaka. I think that's why I butcher his name the way I do. I don't want to say Kaka. But um, anyway, you know, <laughs> he has kind of been supplanted by uh, Hendrickson, you know, as that additional rusher, you know. And Again, yeah, you're right. I, I talked about this while you were while you were frozen there, or you were kicked out. Um, not having uh, fairly in the off season was panic time. We were panicking. Where was the pass rush going to come from up the middle? Um, we haven't really replaced him up the middle, but we replaced the pass rushing on the edges. So yeah. Um, I still would love to have him back in black and gold because uh, I thought he brought a lot of spark and excitement to the team, um, especially on third downs. And I, I, I don't want his career to end. Not like for that. No, not for health reasons. I'd like for him to um, be there and help this team win a championship i'd like for him at least you know i know the saints would give him a ring just like they gave uh deuce a ring and everybody else a ring but we're getting way ahead of ourselves here but you know i i, I wish he could contribute uh somehow onto this team because i think it's a really special team and he would have been a great part of it um anyway let's let's do the last position group real quick and then we're gonna have to wrap up because it's almost 9 30 um special teams how would you grade your special teams? Uh, minus be too uh, conservative. 
No, I, I don't. Been really, really good, uh, despite a few misses that he's had. Uh, Ted has been absolute gold as he always is. Mm-hmm. The weakest link in that uh, chain is going to be your kick return and punt returns. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately for the New Orleans Saints, that br- that weakest link is bringing the grade way down. I, uh, yeah, absolutely. C minus. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I think Morstead, Morstead is playing at an all-pro level as well as a punter. He is flipping the field. Not only is he flipping the field, he is being out. He is an outstanding directional kicker, uh, basically eliminating the return game. Um, you had a kick return for a touchdown on you, which hurts. Uh, you've had a blocked extra point, a blocked field goal. Um, you know, that has hurt uh, Morstead uh as far, not more. I'm sorry, uh, Lutz. As far as kicking, but he's also been kicking the ball out of the end zone, a la Morton Anderson. I was just looking at Morton Anderson's stats. His, jeez, this is a mess. His first couple of years in the league, he was a 75 percent kicker, 74.1 percent kicker, and then, uh. In 85 and 86, 88 and 86% kicker. Um, in 1989, 69% kicker. Uh, you know, then it got right back up to 77, 78, 85, 80. And let's see. Lutz, meanwhile, I should have had the stats up here earlier. Um <laughs> Well, you know, I had him up early, but then I switched screens to look at something else. Um, Multitasking. Yeah, I know, I know. Something else caught my eye. Uh, He has been... Oh, this is just for the season. This is not what I wanted. While you do that... uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. Make a a quick point about the upcoming weekend, Mm -hmm. uh, Orchard Park. Yes. The Buffalo and Jets game on Thursday night, and in that game has some weaknesses on their offensive line. And uh, the I don't consider the Jets to be head and shoulders of what the Saints are. And I think that there's weaknesses there that are exploitable. It's mm-hmm. defense. But uh, one major factor that's going to be different from that Jets game is the fact that to be playing at home rather than on the road. Yes, yes. Um, real quick, uh, Lutz is 82% last year, 80% so far this year as a kicker for an overall career percentage of 81.5. Um, he's missed four field goals this year. And missed two extra points. One miss, one block. Well, I think they might have both been blocked. Uh, I, one was in the Minnesota game. I can't remember if that was a block or not. I think it was. Um, yeah, I think he's had two blocks. So, you know, that, that kind of pulled his percentage down to 80%. Anyway, um, 
but you know, you can see already he's he's right up there. How Morton Anderson's stats were, um, Morton's first few years in the league. So, you know, we've got a good one. We've got a good kicker. and We got a, a good punter. Um, we need a return guy. Uh, you almost need to start going, find the old Budweiser drivers and taking them out for a run, see if we can get another beer man out. Um, Put that's Camaro really back really there. That, well, you see, but the problem is Camaro is too valuable as a runner. Uh, you're trying to limit his uh, the, the amount of pounding he takes as a runner. Uh, you really, you know, and Ted Ginn just hasn't been sure-handed enough. Tommy Lee Lewis they don't trust right now. You would think he could do something because he's small and quick, but they don't, they, they need a Mel gray. Uh, they need, um, almost, they almost think, yeah, a vice, uh, somebody who is, you know, uh, a, a, a Devin Hester, you know, somebody who is like a kind of like your third running back, but primarily your kick returner. That's what they're missing right now. Um, Vi Sikahima. Yes, I remember him very well from Philadelphia. Hey, Brian Mitchell, my old buddy from UL. Uh, <laughs> Brian Mitchell is another good one. Um, but yeah, you need somebody like that at that kind of that kind of returner, and they just don't have that right now. So, and that's that's probably the biggest difference between this special teams probably flipping the field and giving the Saints much shorter fields, the Saints offense much shorter fields to play on as opposed to starting at the 20 or 25-yard line. And, you know, I think if we get the short fields with a good kick return game, um, we'll start scoring more points because, uh, you you're, you know, Lutz is a good kicker from a distance. Um you know, there's a lot of positives to build on this team. So I'm really excited about how the second half is going to go. I think we can take Buffalo. Um, I saw the I Jets. I do too. Uh, the Jets really exposed them, I felt, on Thursday night. I think their blocking will probably be better. But if you get that, if you can shut down Shady McCoy and put this game in uh, the quarterback's hand, Tyrod, is it Tyrod Taylor is yeah. his name? Yeah, yeah. If you if you get it, put it in Tyrod Taylor's hands and make him throw the ball. Uh, I think we can we can win this game because it's supposed to be a a cold, wet, nasty kind of day uh, over there at uh, New Era Field, and I think that the stadium isn't called Orchard Park anymore. I think it's called uh, um, oh damn, the, the the old owner of the Buffalo Pills, who was one founding members of the AFL. Um, uh, Ralph Wilson. I think it's Ralph Wilson Stadium now. So, um, but yeah, I, I think we're, we are built better with a running game. Uh, I think we're built better to take that kind of this kind of team and and just wear that defense out. Um, if we can get better on third down conversions and score more points, we'll take Buffalo. We'll take Shady McCoy out of the game uh, and. I think we can get some turnovers. We have to take better care of the football. We have to stop putting the ball on the ground. Um, and if we do those things, we should win this game. Um, it, it, this whole season right now, these next four games, it's building towards that Rams game. That sure Rams is. game is going to be huge. Uh, or to quote Donald Trump, huge. Uh, <laughs> 
it, it, it's I, right now as things are trending for this Saints team. <laughs> he froze again. Two oh. against the Rams, and one mm -hmm. is going to be the game versus the Panthers. Yep. Continues to trend in the direction that it's going now. The mm -hmm. Rams is going to be for playoff position, and yep. the Panthers is going to be Seat for division championship. Seating, seating, definite seating. Because if you beat the Rams, um, you've got you jump two because you are currently I think the Saints are like you said earlier it doesn't really matter but the Saints are currently the second seed yes you beat you beat the Rams you pretty much solidified that second seed um, you lose to the Rams you can drop down to the fourth seed uh, because you lost the Vikings already so that's a that's a, a big game and if you don't win the division then you're the fifth or sixth seed so yeah the the games that that matter coming up, uh, they all matter, but the big games are the Rams game, the second Carolina game, and really uh, the Atlanta game. One of those two Atlanta games, we have to sweep Tampa, we have to sweep Carolina, and do no worse than split with Atlanta. Because if you split with Carolina, then you have to sweep Atlanta. Um, like I told, I said earlier, you can you can go. Four and two at worst in this division uh, and still make the playoffs. You don't do better than four and two. You're not making the playoffs. Um, and we're already two and oh. You know, we need to beat Atlanta at least once to get that third one, and we need to sweep. I think by the, the final game of the season against Tampa, I think Tampa is already – they're just going to be going through the motions. Uh, the coach will probably be fired, and general manager going to be fired. They're going to blow up that team and the whole bit. So – they're going to already have their bags packed. Uh, but, you know, the Atlanta and uh, at least one of those Atlanta games, which is a Thursday night game and the Carolina game, those are back-to-back -back games. You've got to win both of them. You know, it's just – it's a must. So, yeah, from now on, it's must-wins. Well, every game – I'm not deluded enough to think that we're going to run the table as great as that would be. Uh, that it's going to be how you manage the rest of this schedule that determines exactly this season is going to be a success or, or I don't want to say failure because it, I'm not even going to go there. Uh, no, you, you can't. Let's just let's that, just play one game at a time. Uh, that would be we play deep. one game at a time. Um, if we're going to lose a game, I'd rather lose to an AFC team because that helps. But right now, you know, I want us to beat Buffalo, and I want us to focus on building wins one after another. So if, if we're I don't know what is it. It's two games from now. I think it's the it's the Bills and then the the uh, Redskins, then the Rams. Is that how it goes? I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I think that's how the schedule goes. Um, if you win those two games, the Bills and the Redskins, then you're you're going for a big showdown against the Rams. So let's let's take care of the Bills first uh, and keep in mind the Rams out there. Then once you've got the Rams. 
done, then it's all divisional games. It's the Jets and a bunch of divisional games. And, you know. From here, it, I, I just pulled it up. We have Buffalo, uh, mm -hmm. the Redskins mm -hmm. here, the Rams, home against Carolina at uh, Atlanta. New York. Atlanta, yeah, Thursday night. With the anal leakage in Megatron's butthole. Uh, yep. Then back home against the Jets, then back home yep. against the Falcons, and mm -hmm. wind up the season on New Year's Eve in Tampa. Yeah, we play the Falcons at home on Christmas Eve. Um, because yeah. they were asking last thing, and then we really have to wrap it up because it's 937. Um, but yeah. uh, they were asking if they're going to flex any of the Saints games. Um, I think it's possible the Rams game could be flexed to a Sunday night game. I think the Packers are supposed to play on Sunday night that week. So that's a possibility. They said the Atlanta game on Christmas Eve probably isn't going to be a flex game because you can't flex a game at Christmas night. There's just no games going to be played Christmas night, I believe. And um, that's really about it. Um, I don't know about the Carolina game, if that game will be flexed or not. Um, it depends on us keep winning. We have to keep winning. You know? Yeah. Uh, but I think the networks are all eyeing that Rams game as well to see if that's the game they're going to want to put on national TV. And, uh, and, of course, we play the Rams on Thursday night. Not the Rams, the uh, Falcons on Thursday night. So that's already got meant. That's our last nationally televised game. So game. That should be a huge game. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, for sticking with us. <laughs> uh, this long. Hey, quality content. Yeah. That and I got diarrhea of the mouth. One or the other. Well, <laughs> It takes me an hour and a half to do an hour show. Uh, thank that's you guys. how slow my internet signal is. Yeah, there you go. Uh, thank you guys once again for joining us. And um, train keeps rolling, and we get to uh, we get to seven straight wins. Go to seven and two, and. Um, you know, we just keep stacking them one after another, and we have another great Sunday. It makes for a lot, a lot better Monday mornings here in New Orleans when the Saints do win. So, anyway, thank you guys for joining us and sticking out with us all this time, and we'll see you next time on Under the Dome. Good night, everybody. Good night.